Our scripture this morning is Luke 15, verses 1 through 2, and then verses 11 through 32. If you're reading in your pew Bible, that's page 874. Before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and our ability to come into your house and to give you the worship and the praise that you so deserve. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you that it teaches us, it guides us. Lord, it is your word for us. How amazing that you have given us such clarity, such guidance. Lord, we pray that you would open our minds and open our hearts to listen to your word. Not just hear it, but listen, and that it would touch us, it would change us, it would teach us, and we would walk away from this place knowing more about who you are and knowing more about who we are. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This is Luke 15, verses 1 through 2 and 11 through 32. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 11. And he said, Jesus, this is Jesus telling a parable. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and let us celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed you, your command, yet you gave Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, 
you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The word of God for the people of God. Well, fitting for Heritage Day, fitting for homecoming, uh, we're going to look at one of the most famous homecoming stories in Scripture, uh, the one uh, that is so well-known, many, many people will say this is their favorite parable, and so well-known that even those outside the church, people who aren't believers, are familiar with the phrase, the prodigal son. They, they know the one who has uh, run off and squandered things and, and comes home. It is a, a beautiful story because it's a picture of all of our relationship with God. Um, it's a picture that Luke shows us to, to show the heart of God for us and for those who come to their senses. So we kind of have a, a play in three parts. The first one sets the stage, sets the story for us. A man has two sons. And the younger comes to the father and says, Father, give me my share of the property that's coming to me. So this would be a time when we might think, okay, he's going to empty out part of his savings. 401K might be dipped into. This is the inheritance, so we're going to kind of divide off the inheritance. But, but for this culture, what that meant was it was the property of real estate and livestock. Not, not so much currency. So what we have is um, coming to the Father to say, I need you to give me some land that I can sell and give me some livestock that I can sell, and I'm going to take that. And that means the, the resources that are used to provide food for the Father, his family, for the household, and for the servants is going to be diminished. It means that the livestock that provides the resources and livestock that reproduces, land that produces extra, that all of this that's going to provide living for so many people is going to be broken into and divided and diminished, which means there's less resources to go around and less resources also to produce more resources. And so this is what's referred to um, in, in the passage when it says he divided his property among him, in verse 12, the word there is actually his life. He divided his life. He distributes because it would have been so tied to keeping and maintaining life that the idea is that property could be considered your life. It's your living. It's what provides for your living. So he breaks, he's asking for this to be diminished. Not only that, to say, Father, I want my inheritance now is kind of saying, I can't wait for you to die, right? I'm, I'm ready for you to be dead so I can have the property, and if that's not coming quick enough, so why don't we just get over this and go ahead and give me what's coming to me? Dad, I don't need you. I don't care about you. What I want is what you can give to me, what you can provide for me. I want the stuff that you can give. 
very few of us would take that very well, I think. But what does the father do? Does he say, get out of here, you're not my son? Does he say, I'll tell you what you're about to inherit, boy? I mean, no. He gives the son what he wants. He divides, he diminishes his life. Not many days later, the father takes all that he has and he leaves. He goes on a journey to a far country, meaning not only does he leave the family, not only does he leave uh, the, the village or the community where he is, but he lives the people of faith. He goes away from those who are part of the covenant, part of church, because he's now with those who eat pigs, the unclean. And he's wasting his money, the brother tells us later, on prostitutes. He's partying, he's carousing. And not only is he having a wonderful time, he's humiliating and disgracing the family and the family name. I mean, we know how people would talk about this. Can you believe what he said to his father? I tell you what I would say if my boy said that. And can you believe what he's doing now? And so now the whole family is being disgraced. The whole family is ashamed. And this is a culture that everything rode on honor and family and heritage. And the son is not only throwing away the living and the livelihood of his family, he's throwing away the good name his father had earned. And eventually he um, runs out of money, runs out of friends, And it is there when he's in a difficult spot, when he has gotten rid of all that he has, all the resources to provide for life, that a famine hits. He's in need. And all of us know in life the famine hits. In life there's difficulties that face us. It can be very quickly uh, overnight a phone call that completely overturns what we think we're facing. It could be an appointment to the doctor where they come back and they say, we see something and we want to look at this and your world is turned upside down. There's always something that comes and it comes often when we've run out of the resources to deal with it. And so now he's feeding pigs, longing to be fed for what the pigs eat, running away, squandering everything, He's longing for something to fill himself to the point where he's almost like an animal, wanting what the pigs eat. This is so much a story that I see in people's lives where they're longing for something. They're longing for a meaning. They're longing for hope. They're longing for purpose. They're longing for something that satisfies that that God-shaped hole that all of us have in our heart. And all of us pursue something thinking that when I get this, I'll be satisfied. Maybe, you know, maybe this tends more into middle school and high school, but if I find the right girlfriend, if I find the right boyfriend, all things will be well, everything will be good. And then reality hits and, well, some of us kind of think, well, maybe the next one will be better. And, and we realize that doesn't satisfy. Or, or maybe it's if I get this position, if I get this job, if I get this degree, if I get to this level, then I'll be happy, I'll be satisfied. And the number of people who reach it and kind of say, that was fun, but is that all there is? Because I'm still dealing with the same anxieties. I'm still dealing with the same insecurities. I'm still dealing with all this. And, and I just see so many 
And sadly, the, the reality is that so many around us who are aching and longing for something turn from the only thing that can satisfy. They, they turn from the only thing that can fulfill, and they kind of double down on, let me try more stuff. Let me try for more amusement. Maybe if I binge watch these Netflix series, I'll kind of cover over that ache. And the only thing that can satisfy us, as he remembers, is the loving father. Act two, he comes to himself. I want to point out that there's times in Scripture where it's very appropriate to go and to remind people of God's law. The prophet goes to King David after he has adultery with Bathsheba and says, you are the man. God's law comes to him and hits him face on and he repents. But here, he doesn't have someone who needs to come to him and tell him, you're not living the way you ought to live. You're not doing what you need to do. He knows it. The emptiness in him tells him he needs something else. He comes to himself. And very often for us, we, we, we recognize our need. We come to a spot where we say, this world isn't, isn't working. This world isn't feeling what I think it's going to. I need something else. We come to ourselves. Let me just say, if, if you're at that point or if you've reached that point, what a wonderful blessing. Because it's only when we're at the end of our rope that we see we need something more, and then we turn to the one who can satisfy it. And that's what happens here. Do you notice he says he comes to himself and he thinks of his father? He doesn't come to himself and think, if I just work a little bit harder. He doesn't come to himself and think, if I, you know, if I just um, um, kind of reinvent myself, if I just have a new day. Coming to himself, he doesn't realize his own strength. Coming to himself, he recognizes the strength and the love of his father. Coming to himself is recognizing whose God is. That's why one of our great theologians, John Calvin, said, you know, it doesn't really matter if you start with knowledge of God or, God, or knowledge of yourself. It's all going to be the same thing. You're, you're, you have to have one without the other. You really don't understand who God is until you really understand yourself. You don't understand yourself until you understand God. And here we have it. He comes to himself and he recognizes how generous and gracious his father is. I'm starving, and my father's servants have more than enough bread. Let me go back and just go on, let me be a servant. Surely he'll bring me in as a servant. So he rehearses this line, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Imagine replaying the conversation with his dad the whole journey home. He's anxious getting ready. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father is looking for him. The father's not surprised. The father is anxiously waiting for his return. And he sees him, and it is not an anxiousness of, I can't wait to tell him. I told you so. Not a, not a bitterness, not a resentfulness, not a ready to let him have it and see him grovel. But he feels compassion. If you're hurting, if you've been grabbing for the wrong things that don't satisfy, you're probably maybe rehearsing your line. You're maybe thinking about God. You're maybe know this. He is more ready for you to come to him than you are to turn to him. 
He, he doesn't come and, and come to you begrudgingly saying, okay, get yourself cleaned up and we'll give this a try. He has compassion. He looks at his son who is starving and humiliated and the heart of God for this rebellious son, the heart of God for sinners is compassion for those who are trying to save themselves with things that will never save, who are trying to satisfy them with things that will never satisfy. That's why, that's why the prophet says, why do you go for empty cisterns when you can come to the, the, the true water? That's why Jesus says, come to me, the living water, if you're thirsty. And it's the word of God to all of us. If you're longing for something that is the hope and the meaning and the purpose and the satisfaction and the fulfillment, nothing in this world will bring it. But your Father is waiting for you to come to Him. He is compassionate, not begrudgingly, and He runs out and embraces, welcome home, and He kisses Him. The son is still going to try this servant thing. Father, I'm not worthy. I've sinned against heaven and before you. And the mere fact of confession is enough to bring God's grace more than the son could ever imagine. He doesn't give him an apron and gloves and say, no, get to the work in the, the, the bull. Um, clean up after that. He gives a robe. You're clothed in Christ's righteousness. He gives him a ring, a sign of authority. He gives him shoes for his feet, and he gives orders to feast on the fattened calf. We're going to have a wonderful celebration, a wonderful meal. My son was dead, is alive again, and this is the redeemed son. The one who was rebellious son is now the redeemed son, and there's a wonderful celebration, and there is joy in the Savior's mercy and grace and the Father's love. So... That should mark who we are as brothers and sisters. We come to this table to celebrate. We're going to have a wonderful meal afterwards. It's going to be a time of celebration of being with one another and remembering. And, and so doesn't this grace and this mercy and this celebration, isn't that what ought to mark us as believers? Isn't that what to be the, the thing about church that everybody knows? Doesn't everyone know that Christians are the ones who are really gracious and welcoming and never fight and never make anyone feel guilty and don't throw a burden on anybody no. Who are we often considered? Those who are looking their nose down on others. Those who are, you know, kind of not getting along. I, I, any of us have been through something where we've known churches that lay on a burden. We've known Christians that look down on others. We've known people who ought to represent the loving, gracious God who embraces sinners as those who are trying to tell others how to be more like us. That's why the church lady was such a, a big hit. She, she resonated. There was a show that used to be funny back in the 90s. It was called Saturday Night Live. I think there's YouTube clips. I used to work at different restaurants. I was the pizza boy at one time. I was at Hardee's. I was at theaters. And I've shared with you before, the worst crowd I ever had at any job was always the Sunday after church crowd the most demanding, the most condescending, obnoxious people to serve. I, I had once heard of a friend tell me of a waitress who their tip for a Sunday morning dinner was, you don't get a tip, it's Sunday you shouldn't be working. 
Yeah, y'all can work the logic out of that later. Haven't we known churches that, that just kind of make you feel like if you're never doing enough, you're never suffering enough, you, there's always something more. You know, Bible school comes around, and, and let's try to guilt people. In. Haven't we, don't, don't we find ourselves? I mean, I have to confess. Occasionally, I drive to church on a Sunday morning. I assume it's somebody mowing their grass, and I think, they're not going to church. I'm going to church. Then a little voice in my head says, you're contractually obligated. <laughs> there might be some pressure on you going. You might roll over. It's like time to sleep. Well, the reason is so many of us who claim Christ are much more like the older brother, the religious brother. He hears the party. He knows the only thing that can make dad this happy would be that brother. So he doesn't go in, and he's angry. He calls a servant. He doesn't go to a father, but he goes to the servant, and the servant tells him what's going on, and he's angry, and he refuses to go in. He refuses to enter into the celebration. He refuses to enter into the joy. He refuses the grace. And the father comes out. He says, come in. Let's celebrate with me. Rejoice. He is religious. His attitude is God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who do what's right. If you have a place in this household, it's because you've served and you've done the work and you get what you earn. And I'm going to get what I earn. And if somebody gets something because they don't earn it, that's not fair. If, 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 if our heart's attitude is, I do enough work and God repays me. I don't sin and I do all the good things and I get to go to heaven for being a good person. You're outside the celebration. You're apart from the grace. You, you've disconnected from the Father because that's not the way we come to him. And if, if your heart's attitude is, I get what I want because I've done the right thing, when disaster hits, you're going to feel resentment and bitterness. God, I've been in church so many times. How could this happen to a good Christian like me? How could someone like me lose if I've done all these good things? And how could that other person who lives such a horrible life get these blessings and rewards that you're giving them? You're not fair. You're outside the party, refusing to see the joy of the Father's grace towards those who have seen their need for him. And it also will strike the way we look at others. I've done it right. You've done it wrong. You really don't belong here as much as me. I've done it wrong. You've done it right. I've done it right. You've done it wrong. God loves me a little bit more. All Christians are equal. Some are more equal than others. But that is the attitude that leaves him outside at the end of the uh, parable. We have the rebellious son. We have the religious son. Both in those attitudes have kept them away from the love and the grace of the Father. The redemption only comes from seeing the need for the Father's grace. And it is shown to us in a way that shows us the power of the cross for the Father has humbled himself and come to the Son, running and embracing him, suffering, the, the, uh, dividing his living. And he shows us very much of what Christ has done on the cross. For one, he doesn't just give part of his living. He gives his whole life. He suffers for us. He's willing to sacrifice for us. But more than that, he humbles himself and he takes on us 
on himself our shame. There um, uh, was a few decades ago a study, uh, this guy who was a kind of a cultural social missions guy who would take parables to different traditional societies in the Middle East, and he would share them and get their response. And one of the things with, without fail as he shared the story of the prodigal son, one of the things that always stood out to him, the father ran. And we think, you see Baker, he's a dad, he's out running, what's the big deal there? Well, that is something not done in that culture. Kids run, children run, servants run. A dignified patriarch over a family with servants would have a long robe, would have others approach him, would be one who would stand and wait for them to come and keep his dignified appearance. He humbles himself. Our Savior is a God who humbles himself and comes to us rather than demanding we come to him on his terms. And he embraces us and loves us. And whether our temptation is to say, I want things done, you know, I'm going to do things right and get what I earn, or whether our temptation is I'm going to go off and squander everything, it is the same Father who comes outside the party, who comes to embrace us, who loves us, And when we see that compassion and when we see that love and we see our need for it, he is our father who brings us back home and says, start the barbecue. We're going to celebrate. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.